So Money Episode 715, Emily O'Brien, founder of Earth Angel. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Today's guest is no stranger to film and TV. Emily O'Brien has worked on The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Showtime's Billions, and the CBS drama Madam Secretary. She saves production teams tens of thousands of dollars, maybe more, with a unique job, eco-supervisor. Let's just say you're not going to find any plastic water bottles on Emily's sets. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today's guest is Emily O'Brien, and she's making waves in the film industry with her company, Earth Angel. After receiving a film degree at the prestigious NYU Tisch School of the Arts, Emily started to notice that many film crews were anything but eco-friendly on set. She began her business as a way to educate and inform producers and crew members on how to be sustainable, from starting recycling and composting programs to donating unused food to charity. Today, we'll talk to Emily about her beginnings, supporting herself as a teenager, including paying her way through NYU, and how she built her business from scratch. Here's Emily O'Brien. Emily O'Brien, welcome to So Money. It's great to connect with you. Thank you so much for having me. I want to learn all about your brilliant business. I love your story and you're only 29 and already you have figured out a way to make an impact in the world and to utilize, leverage your skills as a producer. You went to NYU Tisch School, probably thinking you were going to pursue film and television the traditional way and you did every anything but. Now you're helping producers on set to keep their sets more eco-friendly, reduce waste, leave a smaller footprint. Tell us how you came up with this idea and this plan. And also, where do you get your entrepreneurial spirit? Absolutely. Yeah. So I um, really, my journey began while I was at NYU um, at Tisch because uh, I was very motivated to study film and TV in the first place because I really wanted to help create socially and environmentally conscious content. Um, and then shortly after graduating from film school and um, entering the, the professional entertainment industry, um, I had this awakening, if you will, where I kind of realized that although we, we tend to be a very sort of progressive industry in our content, uh, we aren't always as progressive in our practice. Um, and so I, I really felt compelled to do something about our industry's waste epidemic. Um, you know, we're, we're very unique. We're very circus-like. Um, we exist somewhere for a very finite amount of time and we bring in tons of people and resources and then we disappear. Um, so of course there's just a, a natural kind of wasteful, um, element to that. But I, uh, worked with a producer. I, I actually convinced a producer, um, to hire me as, um, at the time we were calling it an environmental steward. And 
and I got to work on the set and um, I really had a interesting time um, trying to change practices of, uh, you know, folks that had been uh, doing their jobs a certain way for many, many years and definitely got some backlash and, and pushback in certain areas. But, um, you know, what happened was folks really started to come around to this idea of, oh, there's somebody on set all the time and, and they're responsible for overseeing our show's environmental impact. And, and people really responded to that. That level of accountability really elevated um, everyone's sort of awareness. Because, you know, we're a collaborative industry. Nobody makes a film or television show alone. So this has to be a collaborative effort. And so um, I find that that behavioral change piece of getting everybody involved and, and aware is, is really that um, that the key to, to, um, you know, shifting the dialogue. Um, and it was actually on that set where I got the nickname of earth angel. Um, and people started calling me that on walkie talkie. And when I finally did decide to transition from a freelance sustainability consultant to forming my, my business, um, it was a no brainer what I was going to call the company because still to this day, when I walk on set, people don't actually know my name. They just call me earth angel, um, which is fine. It's a great brand awareness thing that we have going for us. Um, so yeah, that's sort of how it all got started. I want to talk more about your convincing efforts with producers and how you're growing the business. But first, um, going back to something I asked earlier, which is your entrepreneurial spirit. Is that what led you to film in the first place? Because I feel like in order to pursue the, the showbiz industry, you have to be able to create and want to create. And that is a big part of entrepreneurship. It absolutely is. And, and I do attribute a lot of my entrepreneurial spirit to my creative spirit. Um, you know, my mom was an entrepreneur. She, she started a mortgage company with, um, two, uh, partners. And, um, so I, I was raised by an entrepreneur and, um, and by strong women also. So I was always kind of taught that, you know, if you, if you want something, then you should just go for it. You should, um, if you see a void, if you see something missing, then fill it. Um, and so, Definitely being in film school and, you know, you're taught the techniques, you're taught, um, the, the history and the language. Um, but, you know, putting it all together, that's, that's all on you. Um, and then, you know, to see it through all the way to post and, and everything that, that takes a lot of motivation and, and self-determination. And I found very quickly that I really thrived in, in those creative environments where, um, you know, I could kind of be the logistical piece that kind of put everything together, which was why I was sort of drawn to producing. And I, I minored in producing when I was at Tisch. Um, and so I helped all of these different pieces kind of come together. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that it, it is required to um, have the ambition and that motivation to just kind of go for something when, when you feel like there's a, there's a need. You're working on big shows, shows that I watch. I don't have a lot of time for TV, but I do actually watch some of the shows that you are working on, including Billions on um, on Showtime, HBO's Vinyl, CBS drama Madam Secretary, which actually some of those shows film in our neighborhood. It's really cool to watch as they're uh, unfolding some scenes. You've worked on the Amazing Spider-Man 2 movie, which I believe earned a really huge title, right? As like the most eco-friendly set in the history of sets. It was the most eco-friendly blockbuster in Sony Pictures history. 
well. I think that's still pretty amazing. And But now looking back, convincing that first producer wasn't simple. Your story is inspiration for anybody listening who has an idea. You know there's a need for it. You know that it could do well. It has potential. But at the end of the day, it's it all it takes is that first person, that first client, that first business to say, yes, I'll take you on. And from there, of course, you can build more and more of a name for yourself. But what was that first going to market experience like? And how did you ultimately convince producers that this was worth investing in? Because look, there are budgets and you would look at a movie's budget or a film's budget and laugh sometimes at some of the things that they're spending their money on. How did you make it convincing? I think the important distinction is that I, I started out as as a freelance consultant. So mm-hmm. I think for, for producers, it was a lot easier for them to say, okay, I'm going to allocate the amount of money I would allocate to a production assistant, let's say, um, to this person and this is their role. Um, and, and that's, that was sort of what I did for several years before I started the business. And then, and transitioning into that, that, you know, I'm now a vendor, I'm not a crew member. That was a lot more challenging, actually, because I think that producers, you know, most producers are very aware of this issue, the fact that we're wasteful and, um, and that we spend a ton of money on, on wasted resources. You know, I'm, I'm sure that it's, it's not necessarily something that people are, you're educating them. And by the way, did you know you make a lot of waste? Like people are aware. It's just that they're under the gun, you know, so often to, to make these projects, to deliver them on time and in budget that, this just isn't their, their primary focus. So by me coming in and saying, you don't have to worry about this. I'm going to worry about it for you. And then by the way, it can actually save you money down the road, reducing your, your waste bills. Um, you know, the fact that we eliminate plastic water bottles in our sets saves in the tens of thousands of dollars, um, depending on the size of the show. So I started really focusing on the cost benefit analysis of everything and showing, well, by, you know, doing X action, you can yield Y results. And it has this monetary savings benefit to you too. That's, that's kind of when the wheels started turning. Um, and folks are really starting to pay attention. Mm. Yeah, the numbers don't lie. And especially if you can show that there is a cost benefit and that there's going to be a return on the investment. So, so smart. So show us, tell us some before and afters, like what were producers and Hollywood sets doing before you arrived (laughs) and what, what changes do you make? Um, and how much, what are some of the biggest cost savings? I think the biggest change, honestly, is the fact that we have essentially created this department. It's like a new department. Um, we call ourselves the eco department. And, um, you know, what we're kind of most well known for at Earth Angel is the fact that we recruit and train and uh, staff and supervise these eco production assistants that work on all of our shows. So there's this level of account of accountability that's really heightened on all of the productions. And I think that's the key for we're us getting these, these results, these real tangible quantifiable results, you know, previous to us there, um, there are certainly other organizations looking at this and, and folks who were aware and working on this, there's an organization called the, the PGA Green, which is a, a committee, uh, of the Producers Guild of America. And, you know, there's, um, all of the major studios, um, kind of 
joined in on this effort and they created unified best practices lists and a, and a carbon calculator and green vendor guides. Um, and so th- this type of information was out there and available. Um, but I find that in a situation like production where everything is just kind of chaos all the time without somebody there implementing, overseeing, um, and working through the challenges with people, a lot of these resources just don't get utilized and, and, and the tools don't get utilized. Um, and so that was what I was noticing. And then the other side of it that I think really started to transform was the level of reporting and analysis um, that we were starting to uh, really expand upon. Um, we have some of the most robust reporting capabilities right now than we've ever had. And I, and I take a lot of pride in that um, in terms of, you know, just about anything related to a production's environmental impact. There's the carbon footprint. There's, you know, how much how much waste was diverted, how much water was consumed, how much paper was used. Um, you know, we are constantly pushing the envelope in terms of accuracy and analysis of data because we know that at the end of the day, you can't manage what you don't measure. And we're really trying to, again, show these people the numbers um, because that's really... Uh, the, the universal language that so many people speak in, in terms of, um, you know, trying to promote better practices. You can't manage what you don't measure. <laughs> Everybody That's got true. that? <laughs> Monday motivation for you. Tell us a little bit about your financial philosophy. I'm curious, do you have a money mantra that maybe correlates to your passion for, for being eco-friendly? Mm, that's a great question. I don't know that I have a money mantra. Um, I know that I have always been someone who has managed my money very well, um, primarily because I never had a lot of it. <laughs> and so I had to, um, you know, NYU is not a cheap school. So you can imagine, um, the amount of student loan debt that came out of attending a university like that. Um, and, and I think honestly, that's been one of my biggest strengths as a small business owner. I did, you know, I didn't go to business school. I, for the longest time, didn't know what a balance sheet was, um, or a cash flow statement. All of that I had to, you know, learn and, and, and teach myself. Um, and slowly it's become something that's become less scary to me. I've, I've gotten more and more comfortable with it. Um, but I, you know, have always just been very, very, conscious of what I spend and how I spend it. Um, and I think that's also very much a product of me, you know, graduating, going, going to college in, and then kind of graduating in this like post recession environment where, uh, you know, so many people my age just did not have the job security that former, you know, previous generations, um, did. And, and I think that's a lot of why um, I think we're seeing so many millennials kind of drawn to entrepreneurship because it's like, well, if the jobs aren't there, we're just going to make our own. Um, and uh, so I think that's uh, that's always how I've looked at it. And and you know, I've I've supported myself financially since I was 16 years old, and um, and and I've always worked all the time. Like since I was a little kid in my mom's office, I was answering phones in her office for her, you know, like I, um, I've just always had a really strong work ethic. And, and I think that that, um, is definitely reflected in, in my company's values and and the core values that we've built, because I think that's honestly why people respond to us so well is, 
they know that we're down in the trenches with them on set. You know, it's it's we're we're literally digging through the trash. You know, this is this is about as real as it gets. Um, and so I think that with that comes this this level of of sort of of respect and 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 whatnot. How was it that you were financially supporting yourself at sixteen? Was that by choice? Was that a circumstance? So I, I mentioned my my mother was a um, she owned a mortgage company, um, and then of course the housing crisis happened, and so unfortunately my mother lost her business. And um, at this point, you know, we were this this was a, a single parent um, income, and uh, and so we we really struggled financially for a, for a long time. And um, and then of course in the midst of all this, I I went to a very very expensive university as I mentioned. So. I knew that it was me who was going to have to pull my weight. And, you know, if I did choose a really expensive university, it was going to be, you know, on me to, to make those loan payments. And, um, you know, I, I just really kind of accepted that responsibility. I, I knew that the promise of, of going to a prestigious university like that was going to be something that, um, would be one of the most important decisions in my life. And, and, and I think it has been, um, but it's certainly come with a lot of sacrifice also. How did you support yourself? How did you get yourself through college? I worked a lot of summer jobs, different types of jobs as a barista, um, as a babysitter. Um, during my time at NYU, I worked as a nanny during the summers um, in East Hampton and Fire Island. So I got free housing for the summer and was also getting paid. Um, and, and that was my, that money that I made over the summer was my spending money while I was in college. Um, and I, I've just always, you know, if I, if I needed more money, I took on a, another job. I took on another side hustle. Um, that was, uh, really the, the way it worked for me. You're an example of someone, a young person who experienced both sides of the recession where you had a parent go through it and experienced it through them, then you yourself. How has that perhaps impacted you and your friends in terms of how you spend and how you see things that are relatively traditional, like investing in the stock market, buying real estate? Has that really changed your perspective on things? It has changed my perspective. You know, I, it's, it worries me, (laughs) to be honest. You know, I think that a lot of folks, um, in, you know, who had a similar experience as mine really suffer from this kind of financial trauma, if you will, um, because we just aren't familiar with the, the security, um, I think that other folks have, have felt. Um, but, you know, I, I always like to think that it's definitely informed my environmentalist um, uh, motivators as well, because I I don't like to spend money on things that are just going to get wasted. You know, I, I think and I think that's a really interesting trend that we're seeing in the market, right, where people are, are spending more money on experiences rather than consumer products. And and we're seeing market trends that, you know, are showing that people want to spend money on products that are socially and environmentally responsible. And so I think that that's a, that's a really interesting, um, you know, trend that's going on. And I think is in some ways has been really informed, um, and motivated by the, the recession and, and what, what folks are feeling in terms of, 
there these fears around financial instability. I, I know a lot of people who feel like we don't know that we'll ever own houses or, you know, for us city dwellers, cars, um, uh, or, you know, they're, they're delaying the, the choices to start families and, and things like that. So, um, I, I think it has a huge socioeconomic impact that we probably won't even fully understand and for, for many years, but certainly I'm really excited about the way that it's shifting the economy in, in hopefully a more sustainable direction. Well, I'm sure you still have big goals and big dreams. I think that the American dream is still well and alive. It's just different for everybody and it's evolving. And um, this brings us to a question, a good question from our sponsor, Chase Slate. They want me to ask this of all of our guests and I love it. It's what big ticket item are you currently saving up for that's important to you? Oh, that's a really good question. Business or personal or either? It can be anything you want just something that is on your radar that you have your eye on that prize. Mm, interesting. Well, I really have my eye on the prize of uh, hiring another employee because I'm juggling so <laughs> many um, tasks right now um, and wearing so many hats. Uh, so I would say in terms of the business world, I really want to uh, give people more jobs. That's that's high on, on my priority list. Um, as far as personal goes, though, uh, I would just say travel. You know, if, if, if money was no object to me, and I know the environmentalist in me shouldn't be saying that and, and talking about, you know, uh, putting more greenhouse gas emissions in the air by flying. But I do love to travel. And, um, and, and I, my sister just had a baby. And so I have a beautiful baby niece that I want to see as much as I can. Um, so yeah, it's family and, and, you know, really that's, that's what my, my personal financial goals are about. If we were to take a peek at your personal life, how does your passion for sustainability show itself up in your life? What are some things and practices that you do that are different from others that we could all learn from? Well, I try to live by example and have, you know, as close to a zero waste lifestyle as I possibly can. Um, in addition, it's funny, I sort of, anytime I get a new roommate, I have to sort of give them the tutorial of all of the different bins that we have going on at any given time. Um, you know, it's not just your standard, you know, here's the metal glass plastic recycling, here's the paper recycling. I have a completely separate container for my soft plastics, a separate one for electronics, a separate one for my old textiles. Um, and then just like my donations box of stuff that I, you know, is perfectly reusable, but I've, you know, you know, moved on from, uh, so definitely you can see that in, in my, my zero waste lifestyle, um, for sure. Uh, you know, I bike to work most days. It, it depends, you know, yesterday, given the snow it being an exception. Um, but I, I do love to bike. Um, you know, I try to support local, um, you know, companies and, and especially when it comes to food as much as possible. I'm, I'm typically at my farmer's market every single Sunday. Um, and, uh, used to take my compost there every Sunday as well until we got municipal composting, um, bins in, in Brooklyn, which is very exciting. I was super stoked about that. Um, so yeah, I would say those are, those are the biggest ways that, um, I try to practice what I preach. 
How has living in New York influenced you in terms of wanting to do better as far as sustainability goes? I interviewed Lauren Singer, also an NYU grad, I believe, who is the founder of Trash is for Tossers. And she's also an advocate for zero waste living. Do you know her? I know of Lauren. I, I follow her on all the social media. I'm actually a big fan of her. So I'm, I'm a little bit jealous that you got to interview her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you guys should be best friends or something. I mean, it seems like you have a very similar passion since knowing her and you and now you're both have experienced New York life. And is it harder, easier to be, a, to live a sustainable lifestyle here? I mean, there's so much trash everywhere. <laughs> on the other hand, I think that we have a lot of uh, innovation as well that would allow us to be living more simpler and cleaner lives. I agree. I, I think that's... It's both. You know, we have um, incredible access to lots of resources. You know, the fact that I can walk two blocks to my grocery store is not something that you get in the suburbs, right? That's a different kind of experience. Um, and I don't need to drive there. Uh, that being said, space is much more limited here. Um, you know, for some folks maybe who don't have access to municipal composting and, you know, aren't, they don't necessarily have the option of doing a backyard compost pile, um, or don't have the option of, let's say, purchasing more in bulk to prevent packaging because we don't have the place to physically hold these things either. Um, but, you know, certainly I think, you know, one of the biggest ways that people can cut down on um, their footprint is what is with transportation. And so the fact that we have an incredible transit system here um, and the most people don't own cars, um, you know, that is an enormous uh, reduction in your your personal carbon footprint. Um, so yeah, there there are pros and cons. I would say certainly the fact that we live in in such an incredible city where there's events and workshops and tutorials and you know just things like that always kind of happening. Um, the the awareness and and the availability of of resources and information I think is is much higher, um, but uh, you know there's there's the cons too also. I'm I'm curious if you've ever connected with Leonardo DiCaprio because he's huge on the green movement. So I get that question all the time, and <laughs> let me just put it out there, Leo, if you're listening, I'm dying to meet you and talk to you. <laughs> He, he films a few films every so often. I mean, I feel like if he knew about you, you'd be very busy. Yeah, that's our our goal has been to connect with Leonardo DiCaprio since the founding of this business, basically. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, he's a UN ambassador on climate change. Um, you know, he made uh, the documentary Before the Flood. Um, it's all about climate change and its impacts and effects around the world. He's such an incredible advocate. And, and certainly we want to tap into resources like him and, and, and other really strong activists in our industry because that alignment is, is perfect. Um, but it's funny you ask because we actually started this ambassador program. Um, we just launched it in um, the fall of last year. And basically it's a way for the actors who we've worked with who have seen our work um, and, and, and understand the value of it and appreciate it and really want to support it, it's a way for them to kind of 
uh, endorse us in, in a more official capacity. Um, so we're still, you know, we've got a pretty small group as we just launched it, but we have Megan Boone, who's the lead actress of The Blacklist. We have Griffin Newman, um, who's the co-star of the new Amazon series, The Tick. We have uh, Emmy award-winning Bobby Cannavale, um, as well as uh, Lauren McCrosty, who is a UK-based actress. So we are very interested in kind of expanding that um uh initiative so that we can get more and more actors involved in this conversation too because i think like we just saw with the oscars and and francis mcdormand's speech about inclusion clause yeah. exactly we're like well you know right after your inclusion writer should be your green writer um so you know and 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 i think it's important for people to understand those connections you know sustainability is just as much a social problem as it is an environmental problem. And, and we need to be um, all having this conversation and, and understanding um, these issues to, to strive for a more progressive industry. Have you thought of going into other kinds of workplaces? Films are one area that need help, but what about big pharma <laughs> or, you know, schools or, I mean, there's so many ways you could tackle this. There's a lot of ways. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I think if you kind of look around, there are sustainability movements in each of these industries in, in some form or another. Um, I think what makes Earth Angel so well poised to service entertainment specifically is because, you know, for myself coming from film school and being knowledgeable of the production industry, I could already kind of speak that language of production. And I think that sustainability has really has a big messaging and communications issue. And, you know, I think everyone's kind of aware that at this point, hopefully, knock on wood, that, you know, climate change is real and is happening. Um, but yet people don't feel compelled to act and do something about it. And, and that to me, that's a failure of, of communications. And so the fact that I could speak this language, you know, of production basically just kind of made me a translator, <laughs> if, if you really kind of look at it that way. Um, and so I was able to create solutions that worked for this very niche kind of circumstance. Um, so, you know, uh, not to say that big pharma and, and schools don't need help, but they certainly do. Um, but I think the fact that we are specialized is, is one of our biggest strengths and is, and is why the industry has taken to us, um, you know, then perhaps maybe some other kind of outside sustainability consulting agency or something. Well, if you're listening, listeners, and you want to maybe follow in Emily's footsteps, but towards a different industry, I think there's a lot of room for growth. And, uh, you know, take a page out of her playbook. No, don't steal anything, but do, uh, do be inspired. You're such an inspiration, Emily. I'd love to wrap by having you finish some sentences. This is our Great. So Many Fill in the Blanks portion of the episode. <laughs> um, starting with, if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is hire so many more people. Yeah. You seem like you're <laughs> stretched thin, Emily. Where can we apply to work for you? Is there a website, an email address? Yeah. Um, our website is earthangel.nyc. Um, there's a contact form on there, um, mainly for people who want to 
join us as eco crew members, but um, also, you know, just internally, we're, we're always looking for help. And um, so, yes, that's, that's our website, earthangel.nyc. One thing that I purchase that makes my life easier or better is... Oh, that's a tough one. One thing I've purchased that makes my life easier or better. Um, I would have to say, I know this is terrible, but my phone, I just do everything on my phone now. So I hate that people are becoming phone zombies, but it's just true. It's, it is what it is. Don't fight it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because. I typically donate to the ACLU these days because uh, I think that they are in dire need of our help given our current political environment. Um, but when I don't feel like civil liberties are at an immediate threat, um, I, I do a lot of donating to, to local environmental organizations and, and other conservation organizations as well. Fantastic. I'm also an ACLU supporter. Nice. How about this? One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is? I wish I had learned more about investing in general. Uh, it's still a topic I think that is confusing to, to most people and, and feels very inaccessible. So that's something I feel like I, I could have learned more about. I hear this a lot from the ladies. Yep. <laughs> so parents, tell your daughters what compound interest is and, you know how to get in on the stock market, although it's hard. It's abstract when you're little. But I do think that just starting to use the language at home in some way, reading the business section of the, of a newspaper together or following a stock together could be a way to just get introduced. And then when you're older, you're not so feeling like you are in the dark. Absolutely. I agree. All right. Last but not least, I'm Emily O'Brien. I'm so money because? Because I am a badass female entrepreneur. Yeah, Emily. By the way, (laughs) when are you going to make your first movie or next movie? Do you still have aspirations to be a producer? Uh, you know, I still do have those aspirations and, and, and they're very real. Um, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question right now. I think that, you know, we're so, uh, laser focused on taking Earth Angel to the next level. Um, but now that I've graduated from the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program, of course, uh, that's only a matter of time. Um, so then I can go on to whatever other ventures, you know, that uh, that pique my interest. So yeah, we'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> All right. We'll be keeping an eye out for you. Thank you so much for stopping by and congrats on everything. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Emily, for stopping by. Her company, Earth Angel, is at earthangel.nyc, and she's on Twitter at earthangelnyc. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and I hope your day is so money. Money.